people who are creating the work have to create work that's inclusive, that's diverse, that shows different experiences. The producers have to be uh, diverse and want to foster that work. And then all the way at the bottom, the actors have to be willing to do that work and to, to show up to create those spaces. And then on the regional theater side of things, the regional theaters in these communities need to step up and, and do the work and to let people share their experiences that may not be common in that community. So that community gets a different sense of something and art becomes this next level. And I think it's that accordion of, it has to come from all angles. It can't just be the top, it can't just be the bottom, it can't just be the middle people, maybe, the, maybe that's the actors, the stage managers that want to make the change. It's the whole accordion that's got to work together and and make this movement happen. Episode 9. Welcome to the Anti-Racist Artist Podcast, a podcast for activists, advocates, and allies working to make our communities equitable through artistry. Each episode, I am joined in conversation by an artist or arts facilitator who has been paving the way in hopes of learning from their expertise and experience. Through action and unity, we can create a better tomorrow today. Let's go. Hello, curious listener. We are in for a treat today because we are doing a season finale wrap-up review episode. Um, we have two incredibly special guests today joining us. We have Andrew Alcarez and Maricela Juarez, who are the team members for the Anti-Racist Artist Podcast. Andrew is our phenomenal editor, and Maricela is our phenomenal community and projects manager. So a little bit about them. Andrew Alcarez, he, him, is a performer, voice teacher, aviation mentor, and international flight attendant. He grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and had the honor of working with many regional theaters, including American Conservatory Theater, Center Rep, and Contra Costa Musical Theater. Andrew attended Emerson College in Boston, Massachusetts, where he received a BFA in musical theater. During college, Andrew discovered his passion for caring for others on life's journey, which led him to find his passion in aviation. After graduating, he performed with various music production groups and began flying for one of the world's largest airlines. During his free time, Andrew enjoys singing, teaching, and supporting his friends and peers in the theater community. He strives to experience theater and a traveling public that is more open, loving, and accepting of the many cultures and values that make up the diverse world around us. Maricela Juarez, she, her, is a bilingual marketing professional with years of project management experience helping people and businesses grow. As a project manager, she has worked in a variety of spaces such as launching three separate podcasts, helping companies expand their businesses into the U.S., navigating marketing in the legal space. She helped launch a nonprofit, The Furlough Network. Uh, to help those figuring out their next step after being furloughed, and manages a multi-million dollar company budget. Currently, Mari is working with the Anti-Racist Artist Podcast, Hey There, by facilitating social media engagement, editing and writing copy for the episode show notes and transcriptions, and managing the behind-the-scenes communications. And so much more, I must add to that. As a Latina, she's super excited to help amplify and explore a space that is typically not thought of as needing transparency when it comes to social issues outside of the art itself. So 
without further ado, I just, all of you curious listeners, I have to express my immense gratitude for these two, um, without whom this show, this community, uh, this, uh, what has become the anti-racist artist podcast would be absolutely nothing. So thank you both Mari and Andrew and welcome to the anti-racist artist podcast season review episode. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks. I'm excited. Me too. So before we dive in, I did a fun little review um, of looking back over season one. Um, And I thought we'd do a little season one by the numbers. So get ready for this. In season one, we've had 10 full-length feature episodes featuring 13 leading artists and arts administrators, plus five bonus episodes, an introduction episode for a total of 16 episodes with 15 unique voices represented. That's roughly 739 minutes or 12 and a half hours of podcast content. There's been over 800 downloads from over 10 countries, including listeners all across America in almost every state. We've had five unique monthly workshops with over 60 attendees, three unique monthly reading community discussions, and three phenomenal books. As a podcast, we've donated nearly $1,000 to 18 nonprofit organizations and mutual aid funds in this first season. So I think that's really exciting, and that uh, is just a little recap of some of the numbers of season one, um, which I'm so proud of, and I'm so proud of the work that we have created thus far. So congrats to the work that um, our entire community has put into um, creating this and being able to support other organizations as well. All right, so why don't we dive into, and this is going to be a fun exercise because you both have heard these questions now many, many times. Um, We're going to dive into the core questions that our podcast seeks to unpack. I'm going to ask some of you both Um, Feel free to answer with your own responses, um, with responses that some of our guests have had that have stuck out to you, um, whatever you want to reflect upon. Um, And the first question is, of course, what is your own definition of anti-racist and how does anti-racism factor into your artistry or facilitation of artistry? For me, I, I kind of compiled bits and pieces from some of our guests and then from, uh, my own personal experiences. And so I wrote, um, my definition of anti-racism is a conscious effort with deliberate action to provide equitable opportunities for all people on an individual and systemic level. It includes acknowledging personal privileges, confronting the systems of racial discrimination and actively listening to take action in others and listening to their beliefs, experiences, and working on changing your own personal racial bias. I love that. And if I can just jump in really quick, um, we had our recent workshop with um, Edify leader Nicole Johnson um, that happened as our March community workshop. And she starts all of her workshops, including the one that we did for anti-racist artists, with acknowledging our identities and where we come from. And I think you hit upon that in your definition, Andrew of acknowledging what our privileges are, what our own identities, and how that relates to this larger system that we seek to move through and change. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that. Mari, how about you? <laughs> I'm in the background, like, nodding every time he speaks. Um, so what I wrote, and, like, when I was thinking about it, was 
my personal definition of anti-racist is the conscious and unconscious um, actions and effort that someone does in order to combat like racial hatred, bias, oppression of marginalized groups. Um, and it's definitely something that should be practiced every day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's key. Mm. Yeah. And something that I want to extrapolate on in what you just said, Mari, is this idea of them being actions that are practiced, right? Anti-racism isn't a label. And I and I think our the title of our show in some ways might be construed as a little confusing because anti-racist artists can't sound like it's a title, like someone becomes anti-racist, which doesn't happen. Anti-racism, in my understanding, and I think the understanding that we've gotten from most of our guests and their definitions, um, are the actions that we take, like you said, and is something that is either chosen or not chosen in every single action that we take. Um, and it's not it's not a destination. It's not somewhere that mm. you arrive to. It's a continual um, journey in taking actions and making choices that are mm-hmm. either racist or anti-racist. So thank you for that definition. Mm-hmm. Um on to the next question. Does artistry have an inherent social responsibility? And if so, what is that responsibility and to whom? Um, so I thought about this question a lot and I think it's a yes and a no answer for me personally. Um, I think it depends on the artist and what is inspiring them to create. Um, so someone could be creating in order to release like what's inside of them um, into their chosen medium and sometimes it can relate to what's happening in the world and sometimes it can relate into that their specific art or it could just simply be a release um, for them. So I think if the artist has the intention to create art um, in order to highlight social injustices in the world, then I think they have a bigger social responsibility to create um, what is true to them and what is true to their experience. Um, so I think the responsibility lies within those who create and those who view the art and interpret it. Mm. And what you said made me think all the way back to episode one of our podcast with Michael McElroy, where he broke down in this question, I think it came up, um, the idea of healing in that space to just find joy is sometimes being radical um, in itself, um, a radical act of justice in itself. Um, so yeah, definitely looking at, like you said, uh, the different needs for different spaces, um, and, and it ch- perhaps, um, maybe not changing isn't the right word, but altering or readjusting for whatever that purpose is. How about you, Andrew? I so agree with everything you said. And I, and I, I think that artistry plays such an important role in, um, the world we live in today and of course the world in the past but it's going to play in my opinion an even bigger role going forward and you do have to establish that distinction and when you said when you brought up michael um it makes me think about art being that pure joy and i wrote down his quote um that was one of my biggest takeaways um, really from the whole season for me that really connected with me of there's art for you know, sort of just pure entertainment, something that you can go to and you can find that joy in it. Maybe it's something just going and seeing a jazz concert at 
the Lincoln Center or um, going and watching a ballet, uh, listening to a symphony. And then there's art that, that speaks to the current issues directly. And that can be in many different ways. I know Michael brought up the, the um, example of rent. And, you know, during the HIV AIDS pandemic, um, how the character of Angel passing um, was, was huge and really hit everyone in all communities around the world that saw the show, even if their belief system was not aligned at all with the idea of that character. But it brought out their thinking and it allowed them to open their minds and explore something that was a little bit deeper than the surface level of just entertainment. So I think that there's always that both. And um, even in the, uh, what shall you say, the, the art that makes you really think and really dive in, there's still that entertainment value that I find so important to not lose. And then there's that art that you don't have to put other layers on it. You can just simply go and sit there for two hours and just have a smile or, or have a cathartic sort of purging of the emotion where you can just sit there and take in this beautiful music or this beautiful ballet dancer that's poured their artistry into that work and poured their, their heart and soul and craft into that work. And you don't have to put anything else on that. It can just be that, that pure entertainment aspect, which I love. Mm. And speaking of Rent and Opera, of course, Rent came from La Boheme, um, an opera which pushed a lot of boundaries in its time as well. Um, but yeah, a fascinating point, Andrew. Um, also, in this time right now, what a radical act it is to find joy through art and through community and through um, what I think is the most uh, the biggest strength, the biggest superpower of art um, is that ability to create an empathetic, an empathetic bridge from one to another and see oneself um, in a creation, whether it's a character, whether it's a piece of music, whether it's a ballet dancer um, going from a passe to uh, a de- de- developé. It's been a hot minute since I've been in a, a ballet class, but seeing the um, seeing connecting to another's empathetic core. Um, and what a radical act um, that is right now in any in any form of art, whether it be uh, to be a very clear mirror to societal oppression um, or racism, or whether it is purely, like you said, um, a piece of art that is meant to elicit joy. Hey y'all, it's Joanna Carpenter. I am so, so excited to be returning to you and to the Anti-Racist Artist Podcast platform for the final workshop of the season. So we're going to be digging into the yes and, not necessarily as it pertains to acting, although the same thought process can definitely apply, but we're going to be working through how we can yes and our art as our activism, both on an individual basis, but also as a collective, as a community. Things are really, really hard right now. And while there's a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of uh, the actual pandemic, Things in our culture and our society are still ugly and frightening and deeply harmful to so, so many people. So what does it mean to take the empathy and skills you already have and commit to using them to making your corner of the world a better place? What does it mean to learn continuously, not for a finished product, not for the finish line, 
but so that we can continue to grow and be better humans to each other for as long as we're alive. (laughs) We're going to get into all of this and more on Thursday, April 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern, and again on Saturday, April 24th at 3 p.m. Eastern. There are special rates available for BIPOC and returning community members, so that's rad. Um, So head over to the Anti-Racist Artist for more info and to reserve your spot, and I will see you there. Bye! What inspired you to use your platform as an artist or arts facilitator to address social injustices? And what was your first attempt in realizing art is activism? Throughout the years, um, I heard and saw the experiences that people uh, had to go through in, in their artistry, in the theater world, in whatever their chosen craft is within the, you know, the entertainment industry. And myself experienced it. And, and if you don't mind, I have an example that I was talking through with my family about um, that still kind of, in a way, hits its core within me every single time I think about theater and it makes me want to continue to fight for myself and for others. Um, when I was in a production uh, of Hairspray in a teen theater company, um, first off, we really shouldn't have done it because we didn't have the appropriate um, people to be able to accurately portray the characters that are written into the script, into the show. But I was sort of put into this sense of other, being Mexican-American, being Hispanic, Latino. I'm not black and I'm not fully white. And yet the show, the casting team put me into basically, you're going to be a um, nice kids in town in some scenes and you're going to be part of the Motormouth Maybell kids in some other scenes because... We don't really know where you fit in. And at the time I was like, okay, whatever. I'm just doing theater. I'm doing what I love. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Even though I knew deep down that that felt wrong. And looking back on it, so much of my experiences in theater and in the casting process has been, well, you don't look like this, say, white character. So we, we don't want to cast you in this. We can't put you in the lead role because it was originated by a white person, even though there's nothing in the text that says it needs to be. Or we don't want to put you in this role because you're not that color of skin, or you're not this. And I felt so much in the theater industry that I was becoming this other. I didn't have this label. I didn't have this identity. Even though I connect with the Hispanic side, there just wasn't enough art out there that I could feel like I could be represented. And uh, so I wanted to find that representation. And that's really in in college, I began to realize that along with my other peers um, who uh, had their own issues with the arts and being called this other. And um, it's one of the reasons, if I might be quite frank, why I don't really do theater much these days, um, because I don't feel uh included yet and i want to work so that way i can get back into it so i can feel not as an other but i am who i am and i want to be accepted and cast for the skills that i have and the person that i am rather than being this other figure Hmm. so much in there um to unpack thank you for sharing that um first 
another thank you is thank you for bringing one of your classmates, um, Cindy Tsai, um, connecting her to the podcast. And of course, she was um, one of our guests this season. Uh, and she is doing such amazing work and has brought so much light in this movement to um, decolonize and um, create anti-racist spaces within higher education. And like you talked about, the importance of that and the absurdity that these spaces that were putting ourselves as um, learning folks and specifically younger people who are going through their educational journeys in that are inherently um, oppressive and upholding um, these norms of white supremacy and heteronormativity um, and oppressive cultural norms uh, is just revolting. Um, And I'm so glad that there's many people who are um, speaking out against that, whether it be CR Truths, whether it be uh, myriad other campaigns that have popped up across our country and worldwide. Um, I think that's so important. And then I also wanted to um, call back to episode two with Amara Brady, um, who Amara created this amazing uh, multimedia series called Skinny and White Aren't Character Traits. And in this paper, I'll explain why. And through dramaturgy, um, she and her partner um, go into depth of (laughs) these absurdities that certain characters can't be portrayed by anyone other than a white person, like you mentioned, because of how it was originally cast. Um, And I implore all of you curious listeners, if you haven't already, to go check out Amara's uh, series. It's on YouTube, Skinny and White Aren't Character Traits. In this paper, I'll explain why. Um, and it really dives into what you were talking about, Andrew. Mari, how about you? Oh, God. Um, well, I guess I haven't considered myself as an artist in a very long time. I used to dabble in art, like watercolor and pastel, like um, all of that fun stuff. I can't even remember the names of them anymore. Um, but I think now um, I tend to do a lot more of writing pieces. So if you consider writing um, a form of art, then I guess you could consider me an artist. See, I just went double back. I just double backed on whatever I said. Um, but basically when I write, I write more with a conscious, um, mind of making sure that my writing is inclusive and diverse in what I showcase, what I write about, why am I, why am I talking about the subject? Um, will it be understood by various people? of different backgrounds and then going back to what Andrew said about in a sense of like being that other like I'm also Mexican-American um I tend to be on the paler side so I can pass as white um in certain seasons especially in the winter um but I think my uh by using the platform that I do have through social media and through my writing, um, I think it stems from the fact that I craved seeing myself represented in stuff that I read, stuff that I saw, stuff that I watched. Um, so being able to bring that voice to the forefront using my own um, platform and writing, I think, allows myself to give a voice to someone that I wish I saw when I was younger. Um, And hopefully um, that can help at least one person see that they're not alone in that their full experience. 
Um, and maybe like it can show them that things do get better and um, life comes at you in, at waves and sometimes they're great and sometimes they're bad, but it's all right. Yes, that's so good, Mari. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and it reminds me of a quote from Michael McElroy's 2019 Tony Awards acceptance speech where he said, if you want to be it, you have to see it. Um, and time and time again in conversation around uh, these issues, of course, representation um, is so clearly important and so clearly at, um, at an impasse where it's not even remotely close to equity. Um, I mean, if we look at reports such as the AAPAC's um, yearly, yearly reporting of, um, I think it, their report is titled Ethnic Background or no Ethnic Representation on New York City Stages, which takes a look into both the representation on stage, so the actors um, who are presenting the material, but also the writers, the directors, um, the organizations that produce the work. Um, and tying back to what Michael said, you know, it is so incredibly important um, to be able to envision oneself in these spaces. Um, and what a terrible loss for our industry that historically there has been a limit to access to being able to see oneself for many people. Hello, curious listener. We're so excited to invite you to our last reading community of this season one season. We will be discussing Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong on April 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Zoom. It is completely free to join and we will be coming together in community to talk all about the book and its themes. We invite you to join us and you can sign up for free at antiracistartist.simpletix.com. We'll see you there. So having listened to season one's guests and conversations, what are some of your big takeaways as to better understanding where we've been, where we are, and how artistry may be able to play a role in dismantling oppression? So um, I think one of the key takeaways that um, was at the forefront at, I think every episode was the fact that each guest had a group of people that they were able to go and be freely themselves, whether they were the ones who created this group or they joined, they joined one that was already established, um, which also brought me to the fact that um, by having a safe space to be yourself and to express yourself is key to growing and learning um, on how to be a better person for yourself, for your community, and for the world. Um, so I just, I really loved that. Um, going off of what you just said, Mari, um, all, you know, all the guests have created this beautiful and inspiring space um, by being vulnerable, by being open to share their hearts with all of you listeners. Um, it's scary sometimes not sometimes, it's scary all the time to talk about um, these topics. It's not something that you could, you know, you typically just have a conversation with, you know, as a casual conversation. It's something that is um, deeply within someone. And you have to have that emotional release and be okay with opening up about this, this conversation um, to really cause change, I think. And so I give all the, I, I take this from one of my college professors, but it's a heart burst. And I know you listeners can't see it, but I give heart bursts to people that 
are willing to open up themselves and be at the forefront of change. Um, and I think that really, you know, taking um, Nicole's workshop, um, it, it, it really brought me back to one of her quotes. And I, if you don't mind me sharing it, um, I wrote, I love imagination. I love imagining the potential of large scale movements being catalytic and shifting culture is just the stuff that I dream about. And so that's what imagination, that entire step is go as far as you can imagine yourself as a superhero, as a justice advocate, being of service to this particular vulnerable community. And what are your powers? And that just, I mean, on every single level, that just hits me to its core. Um, I think of the words superhero and justice advocate and vulnerable community and Im um, imagining what your powers are, what your place is, and how you can open up to others and share yourself and share this love with each other and look around at the world around you uh, and take everyone in because we're always changing. We're always adapting. Human beings are great at that. But in many ways, we're still stuck. And by opening ourselves up, sharing our hearts, we can move forward and we can move forward together by sharing our creative imagination. And I think art is the best form to do that with. And what an amazing compounding effect that has, right? Um, the work that one person does has the opportunity to spread to even if it's five people and then those five people might in turn take that and spread it to five more. Um, and things that it can sometimes feel like minute or minuscule uh, efforts that we're putting out into this world, we can never know the ripple effect that that might have. So being intentional with that choice, being a justice advocate, like you said, um, like Nicole said, um, and having the strong sense of value and intention behind that, who knows what the possibility is for change. Um, I love that. So are there any other quotes from our season one guest interviews that have made a lasting impression for you all? And if so, why have they made that impression for you? Sure. Um, so I will read it in the style of Taylor um, and how he reads his quotes. So, <clears throat> quote, uh, yes, art is inherently an expression and interpretation of a lived experience. Art is a form that is created, curated, and adapted by hu or adapted by humans. So as a result, it is absolutely shaped by societal influences. The question for me is, does that artist comment on the world? End quote. That was from um, Annie Lin, who's the Associate Director of the Arts Program at the Yale China Association. Uh, she said that in the third episode of this podcast. And the reason um, it stuck with me is because both Annie and Emily go on to explain that um, sometimes, uh, like we said in the beginning of this podcast, like it's art is created with no intention to comment on what is happening in the world, which echoes what um, Michael Elroy said um, and what Taylor has mentioned in the in the beginning. Um, I think they are creating to create, but then fast forward, let's say 20 years from now, it could be interpreted more as 
um, a piece that has social responsibility, that can have social responsibility, um, and telling the viewer on how the world was working back then. Like a picture can be a picture um, about their real day to day life, but then over time it can be depicted um, differently. Like the fact that there are pictures in the world that show white people having a separate water fountain than those who were classified as colored. But the person taking the picture was just depicting their day-to-day life. But now, looking back at it, you can see the the disparities, the racial divide, the way how people were viewed back then in that time period. So, like, bringing it to today's terms, um, a red baseball cap with white lettering was just a red baseball cap with white lettering in 2012 but now I know a lot of people myself included like hesitate pause do a double take when they see someone wearing a red hat so meanings behind like meaning meanings behind things or objects or pictures they can symbolize something different later in time and yeah. that is something that when they when Emily and Annie were talking about that, it was just it was like mind was blown because it's true. We could be depicting. OK, like take right now. Pictures with masks. They are a normal right now. But then what are people going to think 50 years from now? About how our normal is being lived. So that is just something that it's just, it's wild to me. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Also fascinating that you pull that from what Annie said, who um, is a classically trained pianist and went to Yale's music school for classic piano and the lineage of uh, compositions um, from what we consider classical composers or classical music and how that evolves in its meaning um, throughout time and how we are able to look at pieces of art with fresh eyes, fresh ears, fresh perspectives as time um, continues and what what the context of today um, put around a piece of art. Yeah, it's a fascinating point. Thanks, Mari. Yeah, another um, quote, and I think... <laughs> The first episode was just, um, well, really all of the episodes, but it it sticks with me. Um, Something that Michael said is, um, and this is, quote, our responsibility is to go out into the world and to, through our art, somehow get people to see lived experiences that they may not come into contact with on a day-to-day basis, end quote. Um, That's, at its core value, has always been, I think, the intention of a lot of art pieces is to have a story um, or tell something or share an experience that someone doesn't see on a day-to-day basis. And I think what we really need to look forward to and, and work hard on in the future with the art that we create is a sort of, I think of it as an accordion, but it has to start at the top. You know, the, the, People who are creating the work have to create work that's inclusive, that's diverse, that shows different experiences. The producers have to be uh, diverse and want to foster that work. 
And then all the way at the bottom, the actors have to be willing to do that work and to, to show up to create those spaces. And then on the regional theater side of things, the regional theaters in these communities need to step up and, and do the work and to foster these spaces and not just foster them, but let people share their experiences that may not be common in that community. So that community gets a different sense of something and art becomes this next level and I think it's that accordion of it has to come from all angles. It can't just be the top. It can't just be the bottom. It can't just be the middle people. Maybe the, maybe that's the actors, the stage managers that want to make the change. It's the whole accordion that's got to work together and and make this movement happen. Mm, yeah. And I want to highlight uh, Stephanie Claygorn Hasso and Maria Calderon's work at Public Works Dallas. Um, they're really doing that work of um, instilling the values of connecting to a community um, that represents many different cultures within the Dallas um, population um, and creating that as a bedrock for the entire um, company, not just the public works Dallas sector, but how does that transmit into every sector of their larger institution? Um, and with that, curious listeners, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Andrew Alcarez and Maricela Juarez. We will jump right back in the conversation in just a moment. I am excited to invite you to join the conversation with us on Instagram and Facebook. We are posting sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, some powerful quotes, and announcing workshop and engagement opportunities specifically for this community. We are on Instagram at antiracistartist and on facebook.com slash AAP community. We look forward to having you join the conversation. And welcome back, curious listeners. Um, on to our next question. Throughout the season, and pointedly in the latter episodes, we really began to dig deep into envisioning a new artistic industry and some ways in which we may be able to activate the change we wish to see. Asking you both what has become an added core question to the podcast, uh, what are you and aren't you willing to accept as we return to a post-COVID or COVID-recovering era, and how can we actuate that change? There's, it's so crazy because I think I'm so stuck in this current world of, I don't know what life is going to look like post COVID. But that being said, the incredible thing that this pandemic has brought out of many of us is the desire to be better, the desire to do better and the desire for um, permanent and long-term change. And even though this last year or so has been some of the most challenging, difficult, and hard to manage times, and the world has lost so many incredible people, um, we've also, in some ways, through Zoom, through our own personal relationships, through our community engagement that's become virtual, um, have inspired and lifted up each other in a way that I haven't seen before this pandemic. I think we're all so hungry for change and so ready to do what we need to to make this world a more equitable and inclusive future. Um, and I'm so excited to to see the day when we can finally get back in person and physically do this change together. Um, what I'm willing to 
I think, accept and what I want to see more of is more organizations, more companies going bold and going big and going for it and doing everything they can to to do everything that this podcast has talked about this season and and create that more equitable, diverse future and be willing to make mistakes. I think as human beings and as companies, as organizations, we're so afraid of making those mistakes. And I think there is nothing wrong and it's so beautifully human to make those mistakes. But what I want to see in the future is more people saying, I'm sorry, or I made this mistake and here's what I'm going to do to fix it or to correct it or to change. And what I'm not willing to accept, I think, is people becoming complacent again and just saying, oh, well, we did all this thinking and this wonderful work while on our Zooms and listening to these podcasts and, and reading all these wonderful articles online. But now I'm just back to my nine to five or now I'm back to traveling the world or I have the vaccine, so I'm just going to go crazy and screw everything else. I, I hope we don't see that. <laughs> I hope that we we don't forget about all this beautiful, important work that we've spent so much time um, diving into and that we we truly take action on, on everything we said we were going to do. And um, if we can do that, I, I, I'm so excited for this post-pandemic world. I'm, I'm so excited to get back to Broadway, to, to support my friends, support my peers in the beautiful work that they're doing. And I hope to see a future where I can say, I know I took a break from doing theater or from doing the arts, but I'm so excited to get back into it because it has changed and it has changed for the better. And I want to, I want a world one day where we don't really have to talk about racism uh, or diversity, where it's just a part of life, a part of we're living in this world where everything coexists and everyone looks at each other and respects each other as equals. That may never happen, but it's my goal to do everything in my power to support the work that does that job so beautifully. Hmm. And I think that that pulls on a thing that we've talked about with a few of our guests of longevity in this work, of recognizing that true liberation um, will likely never be um, visited or achieved in our lifetimes, but nevertheless not becoming, as you said, complacent or... Um, or cynical about it and still actively um, working towards that. I also want to highlight um, the fact that people like Nico Whedon um, has, have been doing this work in the arts of actively cultivating spaces within the arts that are um, inclusive and anti-racist and um, pushing out oppression um, for years and decades. Um, and people like Shauna Williams, who have also been doing that in her own visual arts, um, in her companies that she works in the diversity and inclusion sectors of. Um, so what better people to look for for guidance um, and not becoming complacent and finding the tools and actions to combat this than folks like Shauna and Nico and the many people we've been so fortunate enough to listen to this season. How about you, Mari? 
What are what oh, are gosh. your responses to what you are and aren't willing to accept? And I know it's the biggest question. And... It's the biggest question. <laughs> and Andrew put it so beautifully. Um, but I kind of took it as I feel like COVID-19 in this time period is sort of like the climax or the turning point of who we are and what we're going to stand for as people. Um, and then like the down, the down projection, the, how, how would I say that? Like the, the sloping down of the, the climax. So I think, especially in these past four or five years, um, I feel like I am totally willing and more than happy to accept the fact that people are more comfortable in showing me who they are and showing us who they are and where they stand and being unafraid to voice their political stances and how they view others and what they can and cannot support, um, especially with the previous presidential administration specifically and how it's led up to where we are now. Like I think... <laughs> People were more willing to be who they were and more honest about where they stand on issues, especially within these past four or five years. And that is something that I want to continue in the future. Like how Andrew was saying that companies were taking a stronger stance in what they believe in and how what kind of core values uh, they uplift and um or don't uplift or don't believe in and where they put their money to. And that is something, and I've said this time and time again, that is something that I will always thank the previous administration for. The transparency of people and companies and how they operate and what they believe in lets me know how to interact with you if I want to interact with you. And also lets me know what we need to work on as we get closer to being able to meet in person and collaborate and be in these spaces where we won't have to be six feet apart. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that's the one thing that can be seen as positive but also negative is show me who you are, show me what you stand for, and don't be afraid of it. And thank you. Because now I know. And there's obviously, you have the ability to change. And of course, like, if you believed in one thing four years ago, and now you believe in something different, like, I also appreciate the fact that you're willing and able and confident enough to say and stand up and say, like, I made a mistake, or actually don't believe in that anymore. I learned this, or I think about this, like, are there any tools um, so I respect that a lot yeah. and I want that to continue. Yeah. That idea of radical transparency, even when it's not ideal to yeah. one's own values, at least, you know, where the other stands. Like for instance, now, you know, you're not going to buy a my pillow, but you are going to run to the store and buy a tub of Ben and Jerry's. So exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll eat it in one evening. Exactly. <laughs> Um, are there any other lessons um, that our guests have shared this season that stick with you in this work, specifically around fostering change-making and actuating results? 
Uh, I think the biggest lesson that our guests have shared and that have stuck with me is the fact that you, in this fight for social justice and in this fight for, like, racial equality and everything and anything in between, I think you also have to give yourself um, the grace and the space to uh, recharge um, and be able to recognize that it is mentally, physically, everything draining. It is super draining and sometimes it can feel like you're shouting into a void um, and it's helpful to recognize that when you're at your at the peak of it like it's okay to just step down unplug reset so you are able to come back um fighting again versus overexerting yourself where you just kind of give up and it's like it is what it is and just it's never going to change like that's not the ideal or the ideas or the um the mindset that we want people to have, it's definitely um, not helpful. Um, so I think a lot of people have definitely said that, you know, being able to just step back and recognize that it's hard and it's okay, but um, to always know that uh, you can come back fighting. That makes me think of our very first community workshop in December with Joanna Carpenter. Um, it was called Navigating Difficult Conversations Holiday Edition. And she shared this idea of emotional capital, um, of being like assimilating it to currency in a bank where you have this amount um, and you get to choose where you spend it, but you also have to be incredibly conscious of what your boundaries are um, so that it doesn't immediately get depleted in areas that you don't want it to be depleted and what you talked about of being able to replenish that um, and refill your emotional capital, refill your bank account <laughs> so that tomorrow you have more um, in case you want to spend it uh, in the work that can very much be um, uh depleting and training um, in ways that um, it is so important to maintain your mental health, maintain your um, ability to show up fully um, in the work. Yeah, thanks for that reflection. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think many of our guests this season have brought the idea to me of, um, I, I sort of in the past often said, thought of the improv game where you're like, yes, and, and, and you sort of build on one another. And there's the value to that. There's an incredible value of taking in someone else's experience and saying, yes, I see you, I hear you and this, and this is my experience or, uh, let's do this. And then there's also, um, and I can't remember which one of our guests brought this up. Taylor, maybe you remember, um, the value of recognizing, okay, that's their space and um, I think their space is beautiful, but that space isn't right for me at this moment or maybe ever and recognizing what spaces or what spheres you belong in and utilizing yourself. It kind of goes back to that, um, you know, the money in the bank thing, putting your money where you feel it's most valuable, where you think it's going to get the, the biggest growth, if that makes sense. And it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no to a project that 
you don't feel comfortable with or you don't think is aligned with the correct values and hold out for that opportunity that aligns with your beliefs or who you are or your representation better. So we don't always have to say yes, 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 and tire ourselves out over our life. We can, we can take the opportunity in and think about it and realize what space is best for us and where we belong. Mm, I love that. Thank you for that reflection, Andrew. Before we go, and I can't believe I'm saying that for the last time <laughs> this season, are there any other projects, organizations, or people you'd like to highlight as leaders to follow in this work? Um, part of Arts Emerson, which is a, um, a theater um, group at Emer- that's a branch of Emerson College, um, there's a company called HowlRound, and their mission is uh, a free and open platform for theater makers worldwide that amplifies progressive, disruptive ideas about the art form and facilitates connection between diverse practitioners. Uh, within HowlRound, they have um, this movement called the Latinx Theater Commons, um, LTC, and which is a national movement that uses a commons-based approach to transform the narrative of the American theater to amplify the visibility of Latinx performance making and to champion equity through advocacy, art making, convening, and scholarship. Um, And it is a flagship program of HowlRound. Um, I just really connect with um, any opportunities that um, specifically a community that I'm part of, the Hispanic community, that creates more opportunities for artists to share their voice, share their their beliefs, and, and really foster themselves in beautiful work. Um, so that's something that I think, um, for those who are interested, could look into. That's great. Um, I just kind of compiled a few people on Instagram specifically who also have profiles and websites outside of um, Instagram that I found really helpful um, in this journey, my personal journey. Um, Female Collective, uh, She Steps Up Philly, Civil Rights Org, Philly Bailout. And the last one, diversify, diversify your narrative. Um, all of these separate Instagram accounts and account and companies in general and organizations have really allowed me to gain different perspectives of different issues that are happening um, in the U.S. outside of the U.S. and the world, and kind of give you that information um, at face value and allows you to interpret but also gives you the tools necessary um, in order to kind of make the right decision and how to amplify these voices Um, so definitely follow all of them Mm, thank you for all of those resources both of you Um, we will definitely link those in the show notes and by we I mean our very own Mari will link them in the show notes (laughs) (laughs) so as we wrap up I'd like to take some time to share gratitude First and foremost, I cannot even begin to express the gratitude that I have for both of you, Mari and Andrew. A few months ago, I came to both of you with this idea to create a podcast and learning community around the intersection of anti-racism work and artistry, and you both got behind it and have given it so much time, so much energy, so much of your heart and soul uh, to help build what we did. You did that from a place of incredible generosity and passion for a set of universal values and action. And we are all, this entire community, and I'm including all of you curious listeners in this as well, so grateful for your commitment to this. This would have been nothing without you too. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. 
We would also like to send an extra special thank you to the following people for their contributions in creating this podcast and supporting its work with your time and donations. Thank you to Ali Bonino, Tracy Bullock, Kaija Koryat, Jenny Hoofnagel, Meg McNeil, Rachel Poletsky, and the Jen Waldman Studio community. Thank you to our tremendous singers whose voices you have been hearing at the start and end of each episode. They are Courtney Jamison, Kennedy Kanagawa, Minji Kim, Esteban Suero, and Forrest Van Dyke. Thank you to all of the world-class artists and art administrators who so generously showed up in these conversations and workshops, leading us with their knowledge and expertise. Thank you to Michael McElroy, Amara Brady, Annie Lynn, Emily Chu, Shauna Williams, Nicole Johnson, Cindy Tsai, Nika uh, Whedon, Stephanie Claghorn Hasso, Maria Calderon, Joanna Carpenter, and Kevin Schuring. And most of all, we want to thank you, curious listener. We recognize how incredibly lucky we are to share in these conversations with you. And without you showing up in this work with us, we wouldn't have the learning community we are so grateful to have cultivated in partnership with you. We will be taking a break for the summer and we'll be coming back stronger than ever in the fall. Stay connected with us on Instagram at antiracistartists for all the news on season two. Lastly, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Whether this is your first time listening or you listen to every episode on release day and are at all of our community events, it would mean the world to us to hear how this first season of episodes, workshops, and community has impacted you and where you would like to see it grow in the coming season. You can email us at antiracistartist at gmail.com, DM us on Instagram at antiracistartist, or even set up a call with us. We have created this community as a space of, by, and for those of us in this fight towards equity and liberation for all through the arts, and we are so grateful that you have chosen to show up with us. On behalf of Andrew, Mari, myself, and the entire Anti-Racist Artist Podcast community, thank you. Be well, reach out, and let us know how we can support you, and may this content and community serve as fodder for your flame. We've got so much more ahead, so let's go. The Anti-Racist Artist Podcast is produced by Subido Politico Productions, LLC, hosted by Taylor Ibarra, edited by Andrew Alcarez, and project and community managed by Maricela Juarez. To stay connected with the Anti-Racist Artist Podcast, please visit us at antiracistartist.com, on Instagram at antiracistartist, or via email at antiracistartist at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our podcast is made possible with the support of folks like you. You can get exclusive content and access to the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash antiracistartist. Theme music features vocals by Esteban Suero, Forrest Van Dyke, Kennedy Kanagawa, Jameson, Minji Kim, ah.